The first reading today is from a spiritual memoir by a local writer and teacher, Elizabeth J. Andrew, and it's called Swinging on the Garden Gate. It was my mother who taught me to pray. When she put me to bed, she sat at my left side, her thigh touching my thigh, her body turned to face me. I was three years old or five or eight. The neck of the teddy bear under my arm had, be re- had been re-sewn tightly to his body. His paws were worn smooth. My mother coached me through prayer so regularly that I believed it was one of those rituals we do to stay alive, like eating three meals a day. What are you thankful for, she asked. She was confident with the question and with our movement into sacred time. It never occurred to me that we had crossed a boundary. I began the dialogue. Dear God, thanks for the club Lenny and I built down by the swamp. Thank you that Mommy made cheese noodles for dinner. I thought God was like Teddy under my arm. He absorbed love, tears, and all the words I spoke to him. We closed together with prayers of intercession, so simple that they became for me a formula for sleep. God bless Mommy and Daddy and Marcy and Beth and our friends and relatives especially, and then the litany of those we cared for, animal and human alike, as though God's blessing were a blanket thrown over us for warmth through the night. Then my mother sang to me the riddle song, or Lavender's Blue Dilly Dilly, or swing low, sweet chariot, and I pictured myself working in a cotton field and lifted from my labors by a shining, large-wheeled wagon. I had another evening ritual that began when I was five and continued through adolescence. In bed at night, impatient for dreams, I told myself stories. I imagined myself back on the playground swing, pumping so high that I soared into another world where people grew wings and rode on clouds. There was no distinction between the end of my stories and the beginning of dreams, so the plots grew wild and mythic. When I grew old enough, my mother felt I could say prayers on my own, and some intimate window closed. In junior high confirmation, I realized that I still chatted with God like a baby, and I was horrified. That couldn't be prayer. Prayer was supposed to be high and holy, formal the way we dressed up on Sunday mornings, petition and repentance. In junior high, when religion became concrete, a clear delineation between right and wrong, prayer, I decided, was prayer and story was story. One was holy, and the other not. If the truth be known, my talks with God had become repetitive, mostly my own whining requests. Please help Julie not be so crabby about her parents' divorce. Why must Miguel have the locker next to me? Because I was determined to be a profound child, prayer became an exercise of will. Only once I was released only once I released myself from the duty the duty with an impatient amen was I free. Eventually I gave up trying to be good. Surely God must have been as bored with our conversation as I was. <laughs> Instead of amen, I ended prayer with 
let me tell you a story. I led God by the hand into that other colorful world we both created. Today, remembering this, I know of no better way to communicate with God. The soul we all share hungers for stories, our stories lifted up to the night, onto the page, into the ear of another, our prayer. So I know some of you, especially some of you in the choir, get to hear some of this twice. And it's amazing when you hear it twice, you'll probably know. So I love that reading even more the second time that I've heard it this morning. And I follow it um, with a poem called Guardian Angel by Rolf Jacobson. And I like this poem more the second time, too. I am the bird that flutters against your window in the morning and your closest friend whom you can never know. I am the glacier shining over the woods so pale and heavy voices from the cathedral tower. I am the thought that suddenly hits you in the middle of the day and makes you feel so fantastically happy. I am the one you have loved for many years. I walk beside you all day and look intently at you and put my mouth against your heart, though you're not aware of it. I am your third arm, your second shadow, the one who can never forget you. A century and a half ago, our friend Charles Darwin wrote a book called The Expression of Men and Animals. Here's what he observed about the emotion we call fear. Fear, he says, is often aroused by what is sudden and dangerous. In fear, the eyes and mouth are widely opened. The hairs stand erect the superficial muscles shiver, the heart beats wildly or may fail to beat, the salivary glands act imperfectly, the mouth becomes dry, the intestines are affected, there are sinking feelings in the epigastric region. As fear rises to an extreme pitch, the dreadful scream of terror is heard, great beads of sweat stand on the skin, all the muscles of the body are relaxed and the mental powers fail, utter prostration follows." Darwin. Here's another much older passage from Psalm 22. My God, my God, do not be far from me, for trouble is near. Many bulls surround me, roaring lions open their mouths against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Some years back, Lily Tomlin was on Broadway in a one-woman show called The Search for Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe a play in which she plays a dozen different roles. The main character is a New York street person, we would call her a bag lady, named Trudy, who is so far out that she is 
closer to the truth than most of us. She's kind of the philosopher laureate in the play, and she's the one who says, I refuse to be intimidated by reality anymore. What is reality? Nothing but a collective hunch. (laughs) Trudy wears an umbrella hat through which she picks up signals, not only from human beings all over the world, distress cries, but also from beings from other planets out in space, her space chums, she calls them. In the play, Trudy serves as host and guide to some space chums who are searching our Earth for signs of intelligence, and Trudy tries to explain to them our human ways and help her space chums kind of get into our frame of reference. Early on, she shows them a discarded can of uh, Campbell's tomato soup and tells them, this is soup. Then she shows them a picture of Andy Warhol's framed painting of a can of Campbell's tomato soup. And this, Trudy says, is art. (laughs) This is soup. This is art. And it becomes a running theme through the play. I think of Trudy when I read these two passages about fear. And if I were trying to point out to some space folks or to earthlings, the difference... I would read the Darwin passage, and then I would say, this is science. Then I would read the psalm, and I would say, this is spirit. Or I would say, this is a report. This is a relationship. I would say, this is prose. This is prayer. That's all I have to say about that. I'm kidding. That is not all I have to say about that. (laughs) And that will never be all there is to say about prayer. Prayer is a universe, and it's one we inhabit. Here are words from Philip and Carol Zaleski's wonderful book called, big book called Prayer, a History. Prayer encompasses heaven and earth. It tangles angels, paramecia, and humans in its cosmic cosmic web. It is a recovering alcoholic reciting the serenity prayer, a Catholic nun telling her beads, a quaking shaker, a meditating yogini, a Wechol Indian chewing a peyote button, a Zen monk in Satori, a Lubavitcher dancing with the Torah, a bookie crossing his fingers before the race, Ebenezer Scrooge pleading for just one more chance. Dear God, just one more chance. All of this is the world of prayer. In this world, one may sit, stand, run, kneel, fall prostrate, dance, faint, or whirl in imitation of the cosmic spheres. One may chant, sing, shout, mutter, groan, or keep silent. One may make use of nuts, beads, books, flags, wheels, shells, stones, drums, Idols, icons, jewels, incense, flowers, blood, and fruit, for all these belong to the armamentarium of prayer. Prayer is so pervasive and inescapable in our world, so we we thought we would devote October to it. It's our theme of the month. For five Sundays, with four preachers, It's our theme, and we'll explore, as the Outward Bound motto goes, if you can't get out of it, get into it. We'll look at prayer as song, as protest, as dance, as struggle. 
We'll excavate our own personal prayer histories, and we'll even have a kind of prayer laboratory one evening for the curious, the brave, and the hungry, October 14th, 7 p.m. here. Prayer is huge. In my mind, I see a large axis, two lines. The horizontal line is a continuum from um, public prayer over here to private over here. The vertical line goes from formal prayer up at the top down to informal at the bottom. And up here in the public formal, we have, for instance, all of us on cue singing Spirit of Life. Down here in public informal, we have our rally for gay rights and marriage equality. Standing on the side of love, we're praying with our feet, with our yellow shirts, with our fragments of song. We are a gentle, angry people, and we're singing, singing for our lives. Up here in private, formal, we have someone seated in meditation repeating a prescribed mantra until the 20-minute timer goes off. Down here in private, informal, as I see it, This one is all about those cries of the Spirit that pour out of us day and night and all the creative ways we find to draw near the Spirit, the center, the source. Choose your word. This quadrant is especially dear to me and fascinating, and I would like to be Trudy walking around in my umbrella hat, picking up signals from everywhere and marveling at all the things we do to reach in, to reach out, to calm down, to get connected, to listen up. One of you told me last week you pray by going for a walk and listening for your inner piccolo. Elizabeth Andrew in our reading finally made peace with prayer by taking God's hand and saying, let me tell you a story. I have a colleague who goes for a run, and as she runs, she moves her fingers as if typing, The word she types over and over as she runs is a word she made up, sanctumataba, a shorthand blend of her holiest words. One of you told me you love to go and sit in quiet sanctuaries that have prayer-soaked walls. One of you likes to meditate on the Star of David that's here in our sanctuary. It is two overlapping triangles, you said. One triangle is humanity reaching up to heaven. The other is heaven reaching down to us. Some of you pray by cooking mindfully or by getting your nose and hands in the garden soil. Some of you pray by singing in the choir or by singing with your child or by walking the labyrinth or by separating the paper from the trash from the organics. Some of us do a walking meditation where each time we place our foot down, we imagine kissing the earth through the sole of our foot, and when we pick up our foot, we imagine a white lotus flower blooming where our foot was. One of you who doesn't fancy any kind of spiritual talk at all, thank you, regularly meditates on his corpus callosum. The corpus callosum is the thick band of nerves deep in the brain that allows the two hemispheres of the brain to communicate with each other. The corpus callosum connects the left logical lobe with the right intuitive lobe. It's the only bridge between them. 
His meditation aims at keeping the bridge open. <laughs> Now, these prayers I've mentioned, they're mostly intentional. I mean, we pretty much get to choose time and place. There are other prayers we know, surprised, spontaneous prayers that spring from our sudden joy or our extreme need. My God, do not be far from me, for trouble is near. Be not far off, O、oh, my strength. Come quickly to help me. I don't know if Jerry Makalek prayed anything like that psalm last year when he fell at his home and was flat on the floor for hours. Jerry is graciously willing to share this story with us. When Jerry fell, he cracked some ribs and couldn't move at all, not to crawl to the door, not even to reach the cell phone that was out of reach on a shelf way above his head. Eight or nine hours went by, and it might have been a lot longer, except the phone upon the shelf was on vibrate, and it rang and shook itself off the shelf and fell down next to Jerry's hand, and he called 911. I don't know if Jerry prayed for help as he was lying there, but I bet when he took hold of that phone, he said, Thank God, or Thank technology, or Thank gravity, but someone, something, somewhere, thank you. Something had to be said, celebration had to be voiced. It's just what we do. Prayer, says Parker Palmer, is the practice of relationship. I like that definition. Prayer is the practice of relationship between soul and God, mind and heart, left hemisphere and right. Homo sapiens and Mother Earth, little self and larger life, the one you seem to be, and the other one who walks beside you, the one who knows you, who never leaves you, who cannot forget you, your closest friend, that one. I don't care much what we call it, and I care less with each passing year. When it comes to prayer, I am completely a pragmatist. If it works, use it, is what I say. If it works to what? To open the heart, to summon the wisdom, to get out of my small, cramped mind into something spacious, the spirit of the whole, to access the more. I like that. I like the American Sign Language sign for more. Because it's not only about more, but it's about connection. The assumption under prayer is that though we are small and limited, there is more. Something is available to us. Call it God, call it the left prefrontal cortex, call it the creative fire, call it the interdependent web, call it love. It connects us, it relates us, and prayer is the practice of this relationship. Over the years, like so many of you, I have meditated with the mantra. I have breathed myself into improbable yoga postures. I have sat quietly with Quakers. I have marched noisily with Universalists. I have walked mindfully through the woods like Thoreau. Lately, I like the simple prayer I got from Clarissa Pinkola Estes, who goes through the day simply saying, Show me. Show me. It's a reminder to return to this moment, to, to be expectant, to be awake, 
to be available. Show me. Like you, I also say thanks quite often, and I regularly shout for help. Something I've noticed over the years about asking for help is that when I pray for help, instead of getting a miracle that swoops in to save me, I usually get an assignment. It's kind of a bother. I pray for help, and dang it, if something doesn't soon become very clear to me, such as I really should make that phone call I've been avoiding, or I'd better do that important, inconvenient thing that will take me out of my way. Prayer is dangerous that way. I'm a pragmatist about prayer. In my decades on planet Earth, I have moved in and out of practices. I learned as a child that reciting the Lord's Prayer did not keep me from getting the flu that went around Mrs. Horn's kindergarten classroom. The prayer that soothed me when I was down with that flu was my mother sitting by me in the dark singing the evening prayer from Hansel and Gretel the one Emily sang. She wanted me to hear it. She wanted me to have that. When at night I go to sleep, fourteen angels watch do keep. To my head are guarding. To my feet are guiding. Two are on my right hand. Two are on my left hand. And so on until we have fourteen. And it was important to feel all those pairs of angels gathered close above me beside me, below, watching and attending me, because the thing is not to be alone. Yesterday, when I got to this point in my sermon writing, I was overtaken with tenderness for my mother, who is in Illinois in a memory care facility. So I reached for the phone and speed dialed, and my mother answered, and I said, I'm writing a sermon Mom, and I'm having the sweetest time remembering a song you used to sing to me at night from the Hansel and Gretel opera about 14 angels, and I started to sing it. When at night I go to sleep. And she said, oh, yes. And she joined in on the second line. Fourteen angels watch to keep. And she said, and two are doing something and two are doing something else. And I said, yeah, that's it, Mom. That's the one, and that's about as much of the words as I can remember, too. (laughs) So the childhood memory is a prayer, and now this, yesterday's memory, is a prayer, too. And what is prayer? Prayer is a mystery. It's a mystery like life, like each of our lives. Preaching about prayer even feels a little strange to me. Preaching about prayer is a little like talking about silence. A sermon is a prayer, one hopes. Our whole hour together is a prayer. Spirit of life, come unto us for this whole hour. When I got the news Thursday that John Jensen, our music director, our wizard musician, the undercurrent of our song these many years, had a serious heart attack, and was in intensive care at United Hospital. Every thought about this service shifted, and I knew that no matter what the topic of the day, the whole service would be a prayer for John, his wife Gail, and all who hold them. 
The moment Ruth Mackenzie phoned me with the news, a whole train of prayers started, hooked together like railroad cars. The first prayer was the, oh no, shock of awakening, the shock of the possibility that we could lose John. The first prayer was a cry of surprise because I'm in the habit, and maybe you are too, of expecting things to remain as they are, even though we know better. The next prayer after hearing of John's heart attack was, I felt my own bones come out of joint as in the psalm, and my heart melt like wax in a kind of yearning toward Gail and John in their time of crisis and fear, a desire to surround them and support them and carry them and to wish them well. And the third prayer after hearing the prognosis was just, whoopee, he's stable, he'll make it. And the fourth prayer was thanks. Thank goodness, thank God, thank United Hospital and the skilled hands that went into action. And thanks Martha Mathewson for saying yes, 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 for taking the place at the piano today and helping us gloriously along. And thanks for the interdependent web of friends who circled around John and Gail and sent signals of love by email. Gail says to us, thank you is much too small to be an appropriate response. This being loved is the thing that brings, brings us both to tears more than anything else. I'm learning at a much deeper level than I have known previously something about love. I feel that there is so much love coming at us and holding us that I will expand and expand and expand until I don't exist anymore. All there will be is love. And the last prayer in the train is a humble recognition again of our mortality, the fleeting preciousness of our unique lives, the irreplaceable presence of each of us, After years of working with John Jensen and expecting him and sort of assuming he would be there and having him on that piano bench spinning his magic, suddenly feeling the poignancy of his absence, even the possibility of his death, I had a realization, an understanding so crystal clear, and it's this. As wonderful as John's music is, what's most wonderful What matters most is that the music comes out of John. It's only this mysterious person that matters. What I'm trying to say is that the real prayer is the man himself or the woman herself. Near the end of that one-woman play, Search for Signs of Intelligent Life. Lily Tomlin's character, Trudy, the bag lady, takes her space chums to a play because she wants, she wants them to have what she calls a goosebump experience. After the play, then, Trudy says, we're standing at the back of the theater in the dark watching, and all of a sudden, I feel one of them tug my sleeve, and they whisper, Trudy, look. I looked. I said, yeah, goosebumps. You've got goosebumps. You really like the play that much? They said it wasn't the play that gave him goosebumps, it was the audience. I forgot to tell him to watch the play. They'd been watching the audience. (laughs) Yeah, they said, to see a group of strangers sitting together in the dark, laughing and crying about the same things, that just knocked him out. They said, Trudy, the play was soup. 
the audience art. <laughs> the more I think about all these prayers, all the ways of praying, the more I get it. The prayers as prayers, the disciplines, the practices, they're soup. But the people doing the praying, they are art. Each of our lives is a prayer offered to the world and probably beyond, all the way out to the interstellar spaces. We are the prayer, and we're better together. Will you pray with me? Spirit of life and love, our closest friend, show us, help us, be with us, each of us and all of us together. May we know the love that's so big that grows in us till love is all we are and all we know how to give. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen.